Hello and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I will share some of my thoughts about William Wells Brown's uh, book, uh, The Black Man, His Antecedents, His Genius, and His Achievements. That's the full name of the book. It was written in 1862, um, so it's hard not to associate this book in a way with uh the Emancipation Proclamation, the ending of slavery in America. Um, it's not the only uh, book of history that Brown wrote in his life. He wrote a what strikes me as a as a somewhat similar book uh, a little bit later called um, The Rising Sun or the Antecedents and Advancement of the Colored Race. Uh, thematically, that seems very, very close to what he's trying to do in The Black Man. Um, and I think there was another history book somewhere. Um, I'm looking at his uh, the chronology of his life. Oh, here it is. The Negro and the American Revolution, his heroism and his fidelity. Um, so what these three books have in common, it seems, is an emphasis on black man's black people, I guess, men and women, because women play a role in at least this book that we're going to be looking at. Um, in building America, right? So it's it's talking, of course, on mainly to white racists who want to suggest that black people weren't capable of of the intelligence uh, to be independent and 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 to be independent citizens of the United States. Uh, that their kind of nature required them to be in bondage, right? So that's certainly one place he's he's offering counterexamples to this dominant racist narrative that, you know, that black people aren't capable of performing, you know, being political leaders, being intelligent, being doctors or whatever, going to universities. So he's attacking that. But I think he's also um, responding to what he would say might be somewhat well-meaning voices out there who, who had this project of colonization. Right. So the you know, there were people like Alexander Crummel who more or less advocated like an early form of black nationalism and, and encouraging some to return to Africa. And then you had whites who thought after slavery ended the United States, the best place for the former slaves would be Africa. So this colony of Liberia was formed. And you probably know all about that if you've been listening to this podcast, because it's come up several times. So anyways, uh. Brown, I think, is also talking to them by saying, wait a minute, we, we built this nation. We're integral in its in its uh, creativity, in its economy, in every aspect of life. Black people have a role and have helped build this country. So uh, just, you can't really ask them to leave after they have, they're, they're part of the, the blood and soil of the country. So I think those are his two main audiences. Um it might also, especially the black man, I think, 
the audience for this also might be blacks who who have you know who don't know some of this history i guess who need to know more especially the his history of the haitian revolution i actually was surprised how much haiti what large role haiti played in this um in this book so anyways uh the black man consists of a introduction um which i think is is almost like a little philosophical essay uh which sums up a lot of his ideas that i was already sort of talking about and then biographical vignettes, biographical sketches ranging from about two pages to some like six or seven pages. Um, the overall book is maybe like 170 overall. I know I'm kind of combining this into one episode, but that's because the previous, the play we looked at, The Escape, only covered like 50 pages. So I'm kind of stretching that out over, uh, or I'm taking what could have been two episodes worth of material into one. Um, but it's got 57 of these little vignettes. Now, the vast majority are men. I, I counted four women, uh, Phyllis Wheatley, Frances Ellen, Charlotte Fortin. Maybe it's just the three. I thought there was another. Maybe it's just the three. Maybe it's just three women. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but women are represented here. Uh, but overall, there's 57 of these little vignettes. Um, including one is, is kind of this unknown, kind of a, an unknown man, uh, the man with no name, who was a fugitive slave who contributed to the war effort in a way, but he's not known who he is. It's kind of like an unknown soldier kind of addition. But at least 56 named and identifiable uh, black men and women of considerable achievement, you know, whether it's in terms of politics uh, or science. Uh, Benjamin Banneker is the first person he talks about here. There's no really, as far as I can tell, order to them in terms of chronology or topics. He just sort of puts them in any order almost. It's, 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 a, bit, uh, it's a bit random in that sense. Uh, you would need like an index to look up people. But uh, what other things? You got uh, poets. He was very, very much interested in poets. If you read uh, the American Fugitive in Europe, you know he was interested in po in poetry. Um, you have poets. You have uh, uh, fugitive slaves. You have rebels like uh, Nat Turner. You have um, entrepreneurial figures. You have educators like Charlotte Fortin and Charles uh, Reason. You have painters. Uh, talked about here. Did I mention doctors? A whole lot of Haitian politicians, pretty much every prominent Haitian, uh, during and after the Haitian Revolution uh, gets an entry in this book. So he's not really talking globally about black people. He's not that interested like in African achievements directly. Uh, although he mentions a little bit of that in the introdu introduction. He's interested in African Americans and Haitians largely. There might be a handful of, of others floating around in here, but by and large his interest is in the United States and in Haiti. Um, some people we know a lot about, like uh, like uh, Benjamin Banneker, like uh, like who uh, like uh, you got Frederick Douglass here, uh, Alexander Crummel, uh, Charlotte Fortin. These are people who have really have substantial biographies uh, that are known to us and known to him at the time. And you also have people who are relatively unknown, like Crispus Attucks, or uh, you know. Well, narratives of fugitive slaves um 
so these people we maybe don't know don't know as much about, but he includes them. So I think one achievement of this book is its breadth in in topics. He's not just saying, "Oh, I'm just going to focus on the educated black people because that's going to make us look best." You know, uh, we're not. I'm not just going to focus on what what Du Bois would call the talent, the tenth. He focuses across black life, uh, both men and women. Although he probably could have included more women, but maybe he didn't. He, he seems he included what he knew um, across fields, not just preachers, although there's many of those here, but also, you know, like scientists and educators and public speakers and politicians and leaders. So you get that uh, that mixture. And I think that is a contribution of the book. And I think this is still a book you could pick up and get these biographies and biographies and learn something about them. And they're, they're not full biographies. You'd still, if you want to know more, you know, dig out other biographies, but it kind of works almost like a Wikipedia, um, a series of Wikipedia entries. Um, in many cases, uh, uh, Brown just allows the subject to, to have his own voice, his or her own voice, quoting extensively from their speeches or from their poems or from whatever. So quite a few consists almost exclusively of quotes from these people. You could say that's a little bit lazy as a writer. You know, he didn't really know that much about him. So he just threw in what he, you know, what he could that way. But I do think it, it allows them to speak. So this, this book also can be a, a kind of a primary source collection for people who want to have some, some examples of um, black intellectual achievement before the Civil War. Um, so why do this book? Why do this book? Well, certainly emancipation is a big part of it. He, you know, Lincoln had written the Emancipation Proclamation. It was about to be issued formally, uh, and it would at the end of, at the beginning of 1963. Uh, but there was the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, so freedom was coming, right? Uh, now, of course, it was still contingent on the war, Right. And Brown may is careful to include uh, people. He doesn't include Harriet Tubman here. Maybe he didn't know much about her. But, you know, he includes people who are helping in the war effort, like uh, Robert Small. Smalls. But he calls him Small. But he, I know him as Robert Smalls, who this is even before he became like, you know, a representative in Washington in the era of Reconstruction. This is when he was still um, helping the U.S. Navy, you know, at sea. Uh, that was, of course, his um, how he rose up uh, to political significance was was through the war. Uh, so he talks about that the the, the unknown man, uh, how's he called? A man who with without a name, a man without a name. He was another kind of fugitive slave who helped the war effort. Uh, kind of a well-spoken fugitive slave. Uh, we got Captain Callow, a black soldier in. Uh, New, in, the, in New Orleans, in the, who served in the Army, killed during the Civil War. Um, we have uh, Captain Joseph Howard, who was part of the Native Guard in New Orleans. So you, you get a couple examples from New Orleans during the war. Of course, one of the earliest parts to be occupied by the Union Army, and one of the first places to experience something like Reconstruction. So he focused on these areas because he's saying, like, th there's achievement here and there is all across the South. Uh, black brilliance and achievements are there to be seen. Um, and, and I think the timing is, is, is significant. 
Um, but as I said, this is just one of three history books that he wrote. One dealing kind of, it seems, is very similar. Another focusing on the contribution to the American Revolution of black Americans. It's a point he makes. He has an entry on Crispus Attucks, um, seeing him as one of the leaders of the early, of you know, the early independence movement. So anyways, now in a, in a future episode, probably in three more episodes, we're going to talk about a def public defense of this book because it was criticized uh, for basically cherry picking, criticized for by, by racist readers largely, but it was criticized for uh, misrepresenting um, black achievement and he responds to it. So anyways, uh, the introduction here uh, to the black man's antecedents I think it's a good read. I think if you just read this, it would be worth reading just for the introduction because he makes a very, very, uh, he makes several good philosophical points um, here. So here's what he writes. I'll, I'll give you an example to get us started here. Quote, I admit that the condition of my race, whether considered in the mental, moral, or intellectual point of view at the present time cannot compare fairly with the Anglo-Saxons. But it does not become the whites to point a finger at scorn at the blacks when they have so long been degrading them. The Negro has not always been has not always been considered the inferior race. The time was when he stood at the head of science and literature. Um, so one point he's making here is that black people have historically had great achievements. And he can point to Africa and Ethiopia and other examples. Uh, Egypt, I think, gets a mention here, too. But he, I think he focuses more on Ethiopia as examples of black achievement and civilization. Um, and then he turns around and says, like, what about you? What about the British? The British, not that long ago. And you can say, well, let's say five centuries ago, six centuries, seven centuries ago, you know, even 12 centuries ago, let's say, uh, the blacks were, or, or the you're British, were basically barbarous. Um, and he quotes David Hume to make this point, saying, uh, from whence sprang the Anglo-Saxon? For mark you, it is he that denies the equality of the Negro. When the Britons first became known to the Tyrian mariners, said Macaulay, they were su little superior to the Sandwich Islanders. Hume says they were rude and barbarous people, divided into numerous tribes, dressed in the skins of wild beasts. Druidism was their religion, and they were very superstitious. Such is the first account we have of the Britons. When the Romans invaded that country, they reduced the people to a state of vassalage as degraded as that of the slavery in the southern states. Their king, Caractus, was captured and sent a slave to Rome, end quote. And so I guess it's going back even farther than I suggested, going back to the Roman era, pre-Roman era. But at the same time, Africa is a center of, of Mediterranean civilization with Egypt, right? And he says, if you go back to that era, Go back to one eight zero A.D. or whatever you know, whenever you have the conquest of Britain, one A.D. So around that time, right? I forget the exact dates. It's, it happens during like Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar times. You know how many British of of note were there? How much achievement was there? Very little, right? Um, that you could find, and I and you couldn't put together a book like this of 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 great people. Um. But Africans and, and the African diaspora in America, under the condition of servitude and barbaric slavery, have achieved all this, everything I'm going to show you in this book, right? So he's kind of saying we've achieved more with less. 
and this is and we're just scratching the surface of black potential right if our powers are really unleashed just imagine the contribution it can have to to civilization he writes this uh, but I do not despair for the Negro that has that intellectual genius which God planted in the mind of man that distinguishes him from the rest of creation and which needs only cultivation to make it bring forth fruit no nation has ever been found which by its own unaided efforts by some powerful inward impulse has arisen from barbarism and degradation to civilization and respectability there's nothing in race or blood in color or features that imparts susceptibility of improvement to one race over another the mind to itself from infancy without culture remains a blank knowledge is not innate development makes the man as the greeks and the romans and the jews drew knowledge from the egyptians three thousand years ago and the europeans receded from the romans so much the blacks of this land rise in the same way as one man learns from another so nations learn from nations civilization is handled from one people to another its great fountain and source being god our father no one in the days of cicero and tacitus could have predicted that the barbarism and savage wildness of the germans would give place to the learning refinement and culture which that people now exhibit already the blacks on this continent although kept down under the heel of the white man are fast rising in the scale of intellectual development improving their equality with the brotherhood of man so it's a very long quote but i think it sums up the thesis of this book very very nicely that the potential is there the achievements already being demonstrated and if black people are just liberated from uh, the shackles of slavery they're going to be able to prove that very rapidly right in fact more rapidly than europe when it had to kind of earn its way out um, now there's another really interesting philosophical point here and that is it seems about the building of, civ of civilizations on each other that our achievement our intellectuality our our brilliance our creativity is built on we're standing on the shoulders of giants of of generations and generations of civilizational development and black people by contributing to sustaining that civilization are equal inheritors to that uh achievement right and you know whenever you hear someone say well like we had to suffer why should we didn't have a weekend back and when i was at work why do you guys get the weekend right i guess no one makes that quite argument but it's similar to ones you'll hear right i had to pay off my student loans why should we forgive them for others well that's how progress works right we benefit from the advance of society um and we inherit we inherit that and we build off it with our own brilliance if we're able to do it and the black people obviously not being fully able to do it nevertheless creating all these great men and women uh, that he describes in the book and then he goes to some other contemporary examples and one he proves pretty convincingly uh that of haiti you know but he, he also talks about jamaica here but he says like in the caribbean where slavery has been ended and black people you know given you know earning their freedom i guess in haiti certainly earning it through a revolution in jamaica i guess it was more reform in london that that led that but certainly also due to agitation and resistance in jamaica and across the atlantic world that they <clears throat> that these are civilizations that are rapidly expanding they're making progress 
And that's benefiting everyone, not just the blacks in those societies, but the whites as well, which is a particularly true, good, important argument for his American audiences, because whites who read this book, you know, they might see power, political power, economic power as a zero sum game, right? That, oh, if black people gain economic power and independence and, and greater freedom in the South, well, whites are going to have to lose it, right? It's, they kind of see it as, as land. Maybe it's because they were a landed economy. They might see it that way. And Brown is saying, no, that's not the case. In Jamaica, you see both whites and blacks prospering after the end of slavery. Uh, he talks about New Orleans in similar ways. Um, and, and then he talks within the United States to the free black population, um, saying, quote, but one of the clearest demonstrations of the ability of the slave to provide for himself in a state of freedom is to be found in the prosperous conditions of the large free colored population of the southern states. Maryland is 80,000, Virginia 70,000, and the other slave states have a large number. These free people have been slaves, or they are descendants of those who were once slaves. What they have gained has been acquired in spite of the public opinion and laws of the South, in spite of prejudice and everything. They have acquired a large amount of property, and it is this industry, this sobriety, this intelligence, and this wealth of the free-colored people of the South that has contributed so much prejudice on the part of the slaveholders against them, end quote, suggesting uh, uh, sour grapes, I guess, uh, over, over black achievement. Um, and then he takes on the question of colonization, um, throwing that out the window, saying black people are, are producers, they're creators of America, they're not just consumers of America. Uh, and he uses this exact language, saying they're not just the consumers of American prosperity, they're the creators of it, and therefore they they owe a right to exist here. Um, and kind of closes his introduction with a general statement on, on equality. Um, so that introduction, I think, stands as a really, really great introduction to his thought and to many of his ideas, his philosophical ideas. And, of course, serves as a wonderful introduction to this book. All right. Now, are, is someone going to read all of these? I can't say I read every word of every one of these entries. Um, but I don't think that's necessary. I don't think you need to read it that way. I think it's a reference. I think this book, um, you know, it's well written. Brown, by this point, is an, is an excellent writer. And we'll see with My Southern Home, uh, where he's just excelling. He's an excellent writer by then. Um, and that's written 18 years after this. But it's, so it's a pleasure to read in most places, but it's, it's a lot of names. It's a lot of people. Now, this book is really, really valuable, though, because a lot of these people I never heard of, and they were, you know, some prominent, fairly prominent, some people more unknown. But, you know, like... Uh, you know, like some of these painters, some of these Haitian politicians, some of these uh, scholars, uh, anti-slavery activists. I didn't know much about, right? Uh, I, no athletes, but but like lawyers. Edward Bannister, the painter. I looked him up. I think he's got a Wikipedia entry. Um, and you're able to see some of his artwork. Um, but yeah, some of these people I didn't know about. Or actors, that's really interesting. Joseph Jenkins, a Shakespearean actor. Um, lots of preachers, because preaching was a place that I think black could demonstrate their writing and their oratory and get some notoriety and fame. 
so it's not surprising we see some of that. Um, theologians, uh, soldiers, revolutionaries, etc. A great mix of people, um, and I think it can be a really good reference for for um, for someone. And that's how I'm going to use this book in the future. I'm not going to reread it strictly, but I am going to use it as a reference to uh, to um, you know get a foothold of some of these people. Maybe use some as examples in some future project. Uh, the thing is, this it's not organized. That's downside. Like even if it had been categorized like painters, politicians, generals, somewhere like that with different subheadings, that would have helped the reader a little bit. Uh, doing it chronologically may have helped. Um, doing it alphabetically even could help. So you could look up people, but you don't have any of that. And I think that is a weakness in the book, to be honest. Um, they just seem randomly organized. Maybe it's just as he researched people, he put them in. But anyways, that's a nitpick, I guess. But I'm putting it out there because I did find that a bit frustrating. Um, um, I guess that's it. I guess that's uh, the overall picture of this, this book. I think the heart of its philosophy is expressed in in its content and its choices and in that introductory essay I just mentioned. So I guess that's going to be it. Um, that's all I'm going to say for now. So let me know what you think. If you've read this book, uh, share your thoughts with me. Send me an email. Or uh, um, you can send it to 100pagescast at gmail.com or leave a comment or find me on the Twitter. Um, or uh, anyways, let me know what you think about any of this. Now, the next book we're going to look at is going to do going to do two episodes on it it's called my southern home or the south and its people and this is was written in like 1880 so it's written well into reconstruction it covers mostly it's like mostly a memoir but one thing i didn't pick up on when i was reading like uh, clotel and the escape is how much of that is drawn from his own experiences it's clear from this book that he was basically plagiarizing his life when writing The Escape and Clotel. Um, that Gaines, remember Gaines from uh, The Escape? Well, he's presented here as a main character. That's just one of his early owners. So I didn't catch pick up on that when I read The Escape the first time. But when you read this, this memoir, and he's using the same stories, a lot of the first half of this book is a repeat of themes we see in The Escape. Not the conclusion, it ends very differently. Um, because you know it's a memoir; it's not a dr dramatic piece of, of of fiction that's supposed to inspire people. But a lot of the stories are the same. Uh, so we're gonna, and then I looked this up, and yeah, indeed, you know, even some of these things are talked about in his narrative. So he he repeated a lot of these stories from his own life. So it is a personal memoir, but it also allows us to see him reflecting on the South later in his life, in his last decades. It allows us to see a reflection on what has happened in the South since the end of slavery in the 15 years, the Reconstruction era, more or less. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I haven't quite got to that point in the book yet. I'm almost there. Um, but the first like three quarters of the book focus on slavery times, uh, which is when he lived in the South. But the last quarter, well will be some reflection on reconstruction i'm really really excited to to read that part of the book so that's what's coming up next my southern home
Um, so that's it. Uh, three more episodes on Brown coming up. Uh, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Well, you won't be worried when when the sun go down. When the sun go down, you'll never be worried when when the sun go down. When the sun go down. Oh, I do. 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 O